Good morning, Mountain Park. So glad you're here. My name is Alan. Uh, the title for this morning's message is Lighten Up. The word up is actually a fascinating word in the English language. It can be a noun, a verb, an adverb, an adjective, and of course, a preposition. There's over 30 different definitions of the word up in the dictionary. Look it up. You can, uh, if you're up to it, uh, you can uh, take up some of your time and you can uh, try to build up a list of the ways that we use the word. And if you don't give up, you could come up with a pretty big list of how that word shows up. Uh, and it's and it's, it's a variety of different ways. When we, we want to catch up when we're behind, we want to keep up when we're kind of doing okay, and we want to hold up or wait up if we're ahead. The word typically is connected with uplifting, is about kind of a positive attitude kind of thing, that we want to uh, polish up our silver, that we want to clean up our room. That's a good thing uh, to have to, you know, to be able to clean up our room. We can brighten up somebody's day. We can fix up an old car. We get dressed up to have a special night out. The word is a positive word. And the character issue that I want to take a look at today is that sometimes we need to be reminded that in this difficult life, we need to lighten up. Sometimes we need to lighten up. Now, I'm not talking about just putting on a plastic smile. I'm not talking about being Pollyannish, up with people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our general outlook on life. Where do we land in terms of our general outlook? Generally, when you walk into a room, when you come home, walk into your home, do you lift things up a little bit with your presence or do you bring things down a little bit with your presence? Uh, sometimes we need to be reminded of the value and the importance for us as we are ambassadors of Christ Sometimes it's good for us to be reminded to lighten up. Sometimes we carry a burden with us, and we continue to carry this thing, and it brings us down. That's where we're going this morning. Father, I pray that you would come and lift us up today, that the power of your Holy Spirit would come and move us and stir us in ways that are honoring to you. It's in your Son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We are in a year-long series that we're calling The Whole Shebang, and that is representing the overall story of God, the whole story of God from the very beginning to glimpses that we have in the very end. And what we're doing with this whole shebang is looking at different characters throughout the story. Today, we're finishing up this section that we've been calling The Church, representing the 2,000 years between the story we find in the Bible and the story we find ourselves in today. This 2,000-year period, we've looked at a few different characters. And, the, and today, we're in the 20th century looking at a character named C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis happens to be one of my favorite authors, and I'm confident is the favorite author of a number of you uh, here in the room. He's actually a pretty amazing writer. I know many of you have enjoyed many of his works. He wrote Screwtape Letters, which is the story of a senior demon named Screwtape who is writing letters to his nephew Wormwood, who is a developing demon, 
about how wormwood could impact this human during World War II and have that human make poor decisions and be sent to hell and have damnation be his ultimate experience. That's the story we find in Screwtape Letters. He also wrote The Great Divorce which is the story of a group of people from hell taking a bus trip to heaven and checking it out and how that all happened. The, where the, the place that that title comes from, it, there's, there's a classic book called The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, and C.S. Lewis is saying, absolutely not. There is no marriage between heaven and hell, and here's the difference, and here's how this all looks, a very creative deal. C.S. Lewis also wrote Mere Christianity, which is much less creative. It's a very logical breakdown. It's a, it's a walkthrough of his faith journey and the, and the faith development journey. Very logical journey. Uh, uh, it's a phenomenal book. It's one of the first kind of serious Christian books that I read, and I remember my first time reading through that book. I think the book starts off a little bit kind of slow. It kind of takes a little bit to get in, but once you get into that book, it's absolutely amazing what God did through C.S. Lewis in the writing of that book. That book is, uh, was labeled by Christianity Today as the number one book of the 20th century. Number one over a whole century. That's a pretty good uh, kind of claim. Not bad, C.S. Uh, C.S. Lewis was born in a Christian home, and so he had that influence. He had that part of his journey as he was growing up. He was born Clive Staples, which is why we refer to him as C.S. Uh, he didn't like that. He was actually called by friends and family. He was called Jack. That's what they called him. He just kind of wanted to simplify things. And uh, that, the, the, the journey for him growing up was that he was kind of moving towards the, the Christian faith. And then a, a tragedy happened when he was 10 years old and his mom died of cancer. And that uh, kind of took him on a spiraling journey of struggling with God. And he struggled with God for many, many years, became an atheist and did not return to faith or depend on how you look at it or how, you know, God only knows. He did not become a believer until he was 33. Long time. All these books that I mentioned, he didn't even go after those things until he was 33. And he did not want to be a follower of Christ. He says that he, he, he went at 33 kicking and screaming when he, uh, when he uh, finally became a believer. In that journey, he was a professor at Oxford for 20 years. He was a professor at Cambridge for 10 years. He was a scholar in the area of medieval literature. I mean, this guy was brilliant, smarty, smart, smart, brilliant. And he was most known and is most famous for a make-believe world that he created called Narnia. Many love the books that he created uh, called The Chronicles of Narnia. He has all this intellectual horsepower and he put a whole lot of his imagination and efforts towards writing these seven books called the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote other children's books, but those are the main ones that have impacted our, our hearts and impacted our culture. The, the Chronicles of Narnia. He could have been this stiff professor who who stayed on the line and kind of left his imagination aside, and we are so thankful that he didn't do that, that he lived a life in the midst of his intellectual prowess that he lightened up at, at some moments in his journey. 
As an atheist, it said that he was angry with God for not existing. That's funny. Come on. I mean, it's Oxford funny, but it's funny. He was angry with God that he didn't exist. As a writer, he had a habit of having pen names, and so that he would, he would write quite a few things in, in kind of make-believe names and have them written with somebody else's name. And, and there's a number of writings that uh, at his death, they didn't even know he wrote because he put it in somebody else's name. And sometimes these names had codes in behind them that would have some kind of deep meaning. And he was just a quirky, brilliant guy. As a believer, he created this beautiful story in the Chronicles of Narnia and, and with Aslan being this amazing picture of the Christ figure. He was tremendously criticized for uh, Narnia and his writing of Narnia because of some of the things that he put in those stories. If you saw the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which was the first book written in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia journey, uh, it's book two, but it was the first one written in that journey. And uh, if you've seen that movie, you might remember kind of near the end when Father Christmas enters into the story and gives all the little children weapons for their journey. And, and one might think if they only saw the movie that, wow, that must have been a Hollywood edition because it doesn't really fit. I'm not sure C.S. Lewis would have done that. Well, C.S. Lewis did do that, and he was largely criticized for it. Uh, one of his best friends, in fact, someone who was influential in his life in terms of bringing him to Christ, was this other um, uh, rather known author called J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote this little trilogy called Lord of the Rings. Didn't do too bad with that. But uh, he was buddies. In fact, they were part of this, this brilliant club, this group, this writing group at Oxford. And can you imagine these guys hanging out, doing lunch together? Ah, oh, would that have been awesome? Anyway, uh, Tolkien apparently could not stand the Chronicles of Narnia. That C.S. Lewis would give him some stuff to read, and Tolkien did, was not a fan. He said, it's just, it just doesn't make any sense that you've created this Narnia land, and you have Father Christmas come into it. Christ is not present in Narnia. You could perhaps have Father Aslanmus, but, but Father Christmas, it just doesn't make any sense. You're kind of joining two different worlds. You're not consistent. Tolkien uh, uh, was said that he hated the Chronicles of Narnia, was just not a fan of this deal. Maybe that's why his movies came out before Narnia. I don't know. But, uh, but uh, he just really struggled with it. At one point, he says that it, it is too much of a stretch for his imaginative sympathy. That's how brilliant people in Oxford talk to each other, I guess. But, but this just... This just wasn't working for him. So was C.S. Lewis in bringing, for example, Father Christmas into the Chronicles of Narnia? Was he just kind of foolish? Was he just not thinking, maybe not thoughtful enough to have, to have imagined what that would mean to some of his readers? I don't think so. Could it have been that he brought Father Christmas in there and it has this deep, deep, deep-rooted meanings that we haven't quite fully understood, and after 50 years, we haven't pulled back all the layers to understand exactly what he meant by all this. Could be. Could be. I'm not sure. I mean, there's been books written about why C.S. Lewis did some of this stuff. Could it be that he just wanted to bring Father Christmas into the story, and he didn't take himself too seriously? Could it be that he didn't take his writings or his, his legacy, his reputation too seriously and he just kind of lightened up and said, I want to write a story that will connect with kids. 
could it, could it be that he has a value to, to lighten up sometimes and just, just lean into life? I think this value, this character issue of lightening up shows up in Scripture. I think it shows up in the whole shebang in a number of different places. I want to first go to the book of Deuteronomy, way at the beginning of your Old Testament. It starts with Genesis and then Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is mostly written by Moses, and it is basically a collection of his speeches, of his kind of last words. Moses is such a central character in the Exodus story. And here we find some of his words he wants to pass on, kind of his last words to the people that he's been leading in the wilderness. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 14, Deuteronomy chapter 14, as a part of one of his speeches, Moses says this in verse 22. Deuteronomy 14, 22, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Here, as, as other times in Scripture, there's this reminder of a tenth, of a tithe, of, of showing our trust to God by giving a, a portion of what he has blessed us with. This is a major character issue. We've already looked at this uh, in this series. The issue of generosity is a major character issue. Let me read on here. Verse 24. But if that place is too distant and you've been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Listen to this if you haven't yet. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish, then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Did you get that? There, there's this section here saying, reminding us, tithe, and that's a serious business, serious business. It's hard, it's money, it's sacrificial, it's all, it's big, big, big deal. And he says, you know, but sometimes you need to lighten up. Sometimes you need to buy, take that, buy whatever you like, and, and rejoice. Enjoy life. Did you know that was in there? Because you do now. It's a little gift for you. It was worth the price of admission this morning. It's in there. God wants us to experience pleasure. God wants us to experience pleasure. There are plenty of reasons not to buy a dog. Plenty of reasons. Dogs chew up things. They go to the bathroom whenever they feel like it, even if they're pretty well trained. I'm not speaking from personal experience, but they just kind of take a dump right in the middle of this house that you have spent so much money on, and the house is devalued, and yet this dog is dropping right in the middle of, of your very own home. This place is your sanctuary. And I paid for that thing. I paid for the dog. I pay for the vet checkups. I pay a whole lot of money to feed the dog these little chips. I don't understand why they cost so much. Did you know that our dog is invested in 
better than most of the people in this world, okay? The way he eats, the way he's cared for, more than most humans in the world. One could back away from that and say, that is ridiculous. That's just, that's just irresponsible. How could that possibly happen in our world? Is that a very ungodly thing? Well, is it okay for me to decide I'm going to keep the dog, not accidentally open the gate, <laughs> simply because when I come home, every time I come home, that dog is waiting for me, tail wagging, so excited that I'm there. Every time, every time in the morning, every time I come home. My wife does not do that. My dog <laughs> comes and greets me with a wagon tail every time. Could it be that that's enough for me to say and enjoy the pleasure that God has provided with this little mangy mutt? Could it be? There are scientists, those who, who don't believe in creation, uh, evolutionists who say that there's a reason for us to have taste buds. There's a reason for us to have different sections on our tongue to taste different things. And the reason for that is for the propagation of the species so that we can identify when we're eating berries and such that these are poisonous berries and these are not poisonous berries, that we have taste buds on our tongue just so we can identify these things so we can survive and keep the species going. Or... Maybe it's that God wants us to experience pleasure when we eat, that God actually wants us to tell the difference between a succulent strawberry and a banana, both things, both of which are good for us. Maybe he wants us to eat Starburst and have a burst of refreshing fruit flavor in our mouth. Maybe that's what he had intended. Did you know that humans are the only animals that laugh? Only animals that laugh. Dogs wag their tails, you rub their belly, they don't laugh. Humans laugh, babies laugh. Just think about the significance of a baby's giggle as a, as a parent. God has given us the gift of being able to laugh. When I was 21, I was working at a camp as a counselor. I was just, just coming out of college, and this was a significant time for me. This was really my call to ministry when I felt like uh, God was pulling me into some full-time ministry. And it was a summer-long camp where each week had a different age group. And at the end of the week that was for middle school, the director had us all gather around the pool that was a part of the campsite. It's a real nice pool with a concrete slab all the way around the outside of it. And on this last night, it was Saturday night, and it was a beautiful time where the director was, had all the kids and the counselors gather around and take a candle that had a floaty base on it, and in turn, every kid would say what God has, has meant to them this week and what God has taught them and how God has impacted their lives. And then it was their turn to light a candle and put it in the water, and we all had to listen very carefully because somebody was across the pool talking without a microphone. There's about 100 kids, and so you really had to be... It was just this beautiful, powerful moment as these candles were floating on the water, and I was sitting there with my group of kids, and it was a powerful moment. And I don't know if this might happen to you, but sitting on concrete like that, uh, what happened was that I, I farted a big one. 
I mean, I, I, and I, if I had known it was coming, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was an adult. I could have stopped it, slowed it down, redirected it in some way, but I didn't know it was coming, and it came out big. I mean, it rumbled the concrete that we were on. I mean, it was just, and I got to tell you, this is with middle school kids. There was no chance they were going to recover from this. No chance, and my face is red. I am humiliated. The kids are laughing, and the laughter just goes all the way around. And the whole event was completely ruined in there. Now, there's two kinds of people in this world. Those who think farts are funny and those who need to lighten up. Two, two kinds of people in this world. God could have handled the whole gastrointestinal issue in a number of different ways, but he gave us the gift of a fart. And it's funny when you're young and it's supposed to still be funny when you're older. It's, amen, I heard somebody in the back there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just God has given us the, the gift of laughter. And I really believe, you know, we'll all maybe have a conversation with God about this, uh, you know, when I, when I die. But I think he was laughing that day around the pool when all this, when all this was happening. God wants us to experience pleasure. We see this later on in the Bible, too. If you turn with me all the way to 1 Timothy, which is near the end. If you get to Hebrews or James, you've gone too far, but it's real close to the end. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is a letter written by Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. And he's coaching him and helping him along. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul writes... Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, there's two things that are common with both this verse and what I read in Deuteronomy chapter 14. One is they, they, that they both have to do with God wanting us to experience pleasure, to experience enjoyment. God richly provides for us so that we can experience enjoyment. The second thing, they both have to do with money. It's fascinating to me that both of these verses about pleasure and enjoyment have some kind of connection with money because so much of our stress is connected to money. Money can be such a barrier for us in terms of enjoying that which is around us. We're stressed out about, about this thing over here so we can't enjoy this thing that we're supposed to be experiencing over here. How much is this costing me? Da, 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 da. And money can be such a major uh, uh, pleasure-resistant issue. Let me read this again. Verse 17, first part of it. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Our economy these last few years makes this so clear to us that sometimes we put our hope in things that we think because the last few decades have gone a certain way that, boom, that's the way this is going to look. That part can be so uncertain. C.S. Lewis did pretty well in this area. He could have amassed tremendous wealth as a result of the success of his books. But it's said that he regularly gave two-thirds of his income away. 
to charities, to different kinds of needs. He gave it away. He had freedom in this area. When we have freedom in terms of our finances, in terms of generosity, we have a paved road towards experiencing God's pleasure. I've been reflecting on it this week, and as I think about the spiritual mentors in my life, the people that I look up to spiritually, each one of them have gotten a hold of this generosity piece. Each one of them have understood that as a part of their journey. It is an important deal in terms of freedom, in terms of experiencing pleasure. And the second half of this again. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God provides for our enjoyment. Not everything that we encounter in, in terms of the spiritual journey has to have a clear point. Not everything has to be precisely purposeful. There are times where it can be just for our enjoyment. I've mentioned this before, but I am not like the guy from Chariots of Fire. Uh, when I run, I don't feel God's pleasure. I feel pain. I feel frustration. I feel exhaustion. I feel the heat. I feel hunger. I feel thirst. I feel like I should have been further than what I actually am here in this journey. I run because I have a goal. I want to run a marathon next week. I will be there at the meeting after this celebration because I want to be a part of running on Saturday mornings. It's going to be great, and I want to be in shape and all that deal. I don't run for pleasure. Hockey, on the other hand, I do that for pleasure. That, strictly for pleasure. People my age don't play hockey to get in shape. Just come visit us in the locker room sometime. People my age play hockey because it's fun. It's okay to do things for the pleasure of it. It's okay. Now, there are uh, some, I, I imagine, in the room this morning who are, uh, you know, these thoughts so far this morning are just, they're the farthest thing from your mind. That's just not where your heart is right now because life is hard and life can be very, very serious. And maybe you have a, a serious concern right now in terms of your finances and a loss of a job, in need of a job, in terms of income, you have great worries in terms of your home, your mortgage, maybe your marriage and struggles that are happening there, some health issues, what's happening with your kids. I don't mean to make light of all those things that are going on in our, in our lives. And C.S. Lewis, he was no stranger to the pains of life. He didn't get married until he was 58 years old. And at the age 58, he, he married uh, an American writer named Joy, who died four years later of cancer. His mom died when he was 10. His wife died four years after their marriage. That's what the movie Shadowlands is all about, if you remember that movie. Here's a C.S. Lewis who, I believe, embraced the character issue of Lighten Up, and that was, that was his journey. C.S. Lewis died three years after that. See, he, he died pretty young. And as he was working through all that, he wrote a book called Grief Observed. He wrote it under a pen name. He wrote it under somebody else's name. And it was his just kind of lamenting and processing through what happened with his wife and his loss of joy. It's kind of ironic that her name was Joy. He wrote it under a pen name, 
And some friends of C.S. Lewis actually gave him the book and said, you might want to read this. It wasn't known until after he had passed away that he was the author of that, of that book. He was no stranger to pain. Not everything in life is something that we can experience joy and enjoyment and pleasure. Absolutely not, because we live in a fallen, broken world. We live in a world that still has cancer. It still has death. It still has civil war in Libya. It still has uh, people who conspire to, to take planes into buildings. We live in a broken world. Yes, there are serious things that we've brought into this room that we carry with us. But God still wants to invite us to enjoy pleasure. It's okay to enjoy pleasure. As a father, I'm learning more and more as my kids get older how much I enjoy watching them experience pleasure. That part of my selfishness is getting chipped away because I truly get pleasure out of watching them get pleasure. And I think that's a part of, of, of maturing that I'm just kind of entering into and realizing in my own journey. And on the flip side, I, I'm so, I struggle so much when I watch my kids carry weight that they shouldn't be carrying. When I watch my young kids kind of carry the weight of the world on their shoulders and I just think, you know, you, you're not, you don't need to carry that right now. And I want so much for them to be released from that so that they can enjoy the pleasures that God provides for them. And I think that's the way God loves us. I think that's the way he fathers us. He loves watching us laugh and enjoy life in ways that are not hurting to other people, of course, in ways that are honoring to him. Many of you here in the room, you are brilliant, successful people, and you filled your days with many wonderful things. But is there room for joy and pleasure in your journey? Because I think your Father wants to see you experience that. I think your Father in heaven wants to enjoy that through you. We're going to have some time here, what we call response time. And we're going to invite you to, to come and have a number of different opportunities to kind of just seek God's pleasure, to say to God, in what way do you want to richly provide for my enjoyment, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. He richly provides for our enjoyment. Now, I know that um, some of you over the past few weeks that we've had these response options, some of you have really connected with them. And I know some of you have not. Some of you, for some of you, that's just, that's just not been a meaningful experience for you. We would actually love to hear back from you. We're going to send out a survey this week via email. And uh, hopefully, if we have your email address, you'll get the survey. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think so we can kind of plan into the future in terms of how we'll use these response times. We'd love to hear from you. But today... We're going to give you the opportunity, and maybe some of you uh, need to come and take this red piece of paper and write something on it and put it on the cross there. Maybe some weight, some burden that you brought into this room that is bringing you down and that you can let it go by the power of Jesus on the cross, that you can nail it to there as a symbol to say, I don't want this to weigh me down anymore. I want to be free from that burden. God, come and give me freedom. Some of you perhaps want to come here to the front and have unassisted prayer. No one's going to bother you here. You can go light a candle 
bring the light of Christ into some area of your life or the life of someone you care about. There will be um, uh, anointing with oil, uh, trusting in the healing power of God's touch over here to the right. There'll be assisted prayer at either of these doors. In the middle back is communion, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. For those of you who are believers, you can come as an individual, as a couple, as a family. You can come and take the elements on your own, or there will be a host there if you'd like to go to the person who's, to the usher who's hosting there, and they will serve you the elements, however you'd like to do that. Or you can go to the back and participate in offering if you haven't had the chance to do that. Or you can stay where you are and sing and just reflect and say, God, in what way do you want to bring pleasure into my life? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you give us permission to enjoy life. That yes, we are challenged in so many ways. And throughout this year, we've been challenged on a number of different character issues. And many of us in this room have have. have so boldly and wonderfully stepped up to great challenges. But God, there's also a time where you just want to say, I want you to enjoy life. I want you to enjoy God. And so, Father, may we lighten up a little bit today and maybe be released of some burden so that we can enjoy the life that you've given us. We pray all this in the life-giving, uplifting name of Jesus. Amen.